What up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows. And on this episode, if you're watching it live on twitch.tv forward slash Marie underscore Shadows, thank you, thank you so much for doing that. And as always, you can find the audio version of this over at anchor.fm forward slash Square Circle Podcast. And as you know, for anyone that's listening to this on audio, I will try my best to explain everything to you um, of all the visuals that you are not seeing. If by any chance you guys ever want to check out a live Twitch chat, by all means, head over to twitch.tv forward slash Marie underscore shadows, where, you know, our chat here is very active and, you know, they love uh, giving their opinions as well as listening to my opinions. Um, on this episode, we are going to be going over the following. We're going to be going over the AW Dynamite show that happened last night. There's only a couple of details in here that I want to go over. I'm not going to go over the whole entire thing, but I want to make sure that AEW and AEW fans understand that I want AEW to succeed, and I want them to understand that we want story, we want things that make sense, um, and this is me just breaking down some of the stuff, especially interacting with certain uh, AEW fans, which you know, in my opinion, can get a little bit annoying and you automatically know that they made up their mind and they're not and they're not gonna listen to any type of different perspective. Not necessarily saying you guys out there have to be like, hey, um, you either listen to me or you don't, you know? We're not we're not saying that, or I'm not saying that at least. All I'm saying is that like if I want to create a conversation with you about a particular type of story and, you know, see where our minds can take us in an active conversation with, like, what, 200 and, like, 80 characters? It's just to gain perspective. It's not to be like, oh, well, you know, you're 100% right, so, you know, why not? Um, so, you know, we're going to dive right into, um, you know, AW Dynamite, and then from there we're going to just continue to talk about wrestling. We'll talk about the Owen Hart uh, tournament, which, you know, I still believe that it's basically a money grab. That's right. I said it. I basically believe that it's a money grab, and I believe that they're using the name just to have, you know, something special without it being special. It doesn't feel like, you know, it's front and center. It doesn't feel like um, it's a big deal when it's supposed to be a big deal when, you know, it's sort of like dubbed that it's a big deal, you know. Um, but we'll get more into that in a little bit. And then after that, we'll talk about the fact that AEW uh, sold out the United Center, um, which, is basically, which is basically going to be the home for the Forbidden Door pay-per-view coming up on June 26th. I have my one burning question, which is, um, you know, that's great that they sold out for uh, the Forbidden Door, but how big of the chunk is it that it's for scalpers that, you know, bought it? You know, I did see some, like, legit uh, fans post up, you know, their screenshots of, you know, them buying the tickets um, and stuff like that. But then there's other people that would, you know, wait in the, in the queues and then buy it and then go resell it for way more money than what it is. And so, you know, 
even though they sold out, technically, um, my one burning question is how big of a chunk is that, you know, from Scalper's point of view? Um, we don't really have much New Japan stuff to really go over. Uh, right now, they're just having, like, some anniversary matches and, and shows and stuff, so they're doing that. Um, we are on our way to Best of the Super Juniors, which starts May 15th, and then after that, we have Dominion next month, and then after that, we have um, the G1. So we have a lot of wrestling lined up and a lot of stuff to talk about. But, you know, let's talk about, you know, AEW. AEW is starting to lose its momentum. Um, you know, AEW fans may not see it. Uh, they may not want to believe it, but they are losing momentum in the fact of how the cards are being booked, how, you know, everything is happening. Um, you know, yesterday wasn't really strong. Um, it really wasn't. Um, so let's start with the first topic of MJF versus Wardlow. Let's talk about MJF versus Wardlow. So after MJF got done feuding with CM Punk, we automatically went into MJF versus Wardlow because Wardlow was sick and tired of having a contract specifically with MJF. MJF owned Wardlow. Um, and so Wardlow, you know, uh, is, I guess, was uh, the bodyguard to uh, MJF. Uh, basically, like, you know, did all of his bidding. Um, and... For a while, he was like, I'm, I can't really do this at all. So, um, now we're here where um, Wardlow wants to get out of MJF and the contract. And this is why we have this feud, which makes perfect sense. I'm like, all right, cool. We got a story. Um, Wardlow wants out of his contract. However, it's almost the same type of chase that has been happening between, oh, has had had happened between M, uh, MJF and Jericho, where Jericho had to go through, like, the, the stages of pain type of thing, where he's, like, fighting different people every week in order to get to MJF. So right now we're in that boat where Wardlow is doing the same thing. Of course, AEW fans are not going to want to believe that, you know, they will probably fight tooth and nail um, about it with me and then don't even give any type of, like, you know, maybe they're doing it because of this. Uh, maybe they're doing it because of that. But it's the same chase where MJF doesn't want anything to do with Wardlow. MJF wants to be protected and cower behind the people that he chooses to go after Wardlow. And, you know, I understand that Wardlow is a very big baby face. He's definitely good at being a baby face. That's, that's a plus. However, why would anybody who's looking to get out of their contract and who's had enough of MJF, like, really controlling them, be so obedient 
in order to play by MJF rules, in order to get out of this contract. Sure, some can definitely say that, you know, during the feud with MJF and CM Punk, Wardlow gave uh, CM Punk uh, the dynamite ring for CM Punk to use and stuff like that. You know, you guys might end up saying those little tidbits are um, Wardlow rebelling against MJF, but that's not enough. That's not enough to really showcase the deep layers that this story can definitely go. Those are just little instances just because it was a coincidence that it happened and that it led to that. Um, so, yeah, I just don't understand, like, why a big guy like him would want to be so obedient to MJF. Why he allows, you know, to get the handcuffs and have security, even though he's been taking them out um, every chance that he gets and he comes out with no music. Um, and then my other problem with this storyline is that Wardlow is winning every single match that has been put in front of him. And my question is, when the payoff happens, are you going to be satisfied with the outcome? Because most likely they may end up having Wardlow win against MJF. And maybe this sets up for like Wardlow versus CM Punk. Because most likely they're going to give the belt to CM Punk. Um, you know, or it sets up Wardlow versus Hangman. Imagine that. Um, because I don't know if MJF is going to win this match against Wardlow. Because if MJF does win this match against Wardlow, basically, um, everything that Wardlow has ever done to try to get out of his contract will be for nothing. So this is where I pose the question of what if we got a storyline that's similar to back in the Attitude Era where it was Steve Austin versus Mr. McMahon and we had a little bit of I guess, similarities in the MJF and Wardlow feud. Imagine if we got an Austin McMahon type of match between MJF and Wardlow. And, you know, um, that would be a pretty interesting thing because I don't remember... Steve Austin always winning like Wardlow always winning. There were some days that there are some days that Austin would win. There were some days that Austin would lose. There are some days that it would just be a um you know, a draw. Um, and then it's also the same thing with Vince. Like, there was no clear cut of, um, you know, Austin always winning or Vince always winning. Um, and the moment that 
uh, Austin would get his hands on Vince McMahon is the moment that, you know, we all cheered. And we cheered for that storyline because we were basically like, you know, I want to do that to my boss, right? Back in the 90s, you know, uh, we all lived vicariously through Austin because, you know, Vince was the maniac. He abused his power when he was in character. And, you know, who wouldn't want to, you know, fuck up their, their boss? So we live vicariously through Austin to, you know, imagine that, to feel that satisfaction of that, you know, the boss getting his ass beat. And so, you know, why can't we have something similar with Wardlow versus uh, MJF? Why does it have to be the MJF show? Why does it have to be the chase that MJF wants? Um, It's not technically very manipulative because um mgf has done nothing to be very manipulative of wardlow it hasn't gotten personal if anything if he really wanted to teach wardlow a lesson in you don't mess with mjf you don't take uh matches or um you know i guess stories that it's gonna come bite you in the ass because you know at this stage, um, MJF is in control, right? So if he really wanted to teach Wardlow a lesson about don't come after him, um, because the same way that, you know, he has the contract with Wardlow is the same way that, like, he could probably put him out of wrestling and be blacklisted, you know, all these kind of story stuff that we could have went with it. Um, we could have got that. Uh, we could have got that where it could have been personal, where it could have been a little bit more deeper into their story. But, you know, after Wardlow um, decided to cut that huge babyface promo, which I think exposed a lot, um, which really didn't need to be said. Um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, in the the business of wrestling, um, you don't, you shouldn't always reveal your spouse or the person that like you're dating or whatever. Um, unless like, you know, you guys are two wrestlers then maybe, but like, you know, the personal lives, like keep that to yourself because sometimes the wrestling community can get, you know, very dangerous and toxic and stupid. So, you know, protect yourself, protect your family at all times. But, hey, what up, Jersey Devil? What's what's the Chewbacca defense? Have I... This does not make sense. I've heard of the Chewbacca defense. I don't know if I was using it. Was I using it? Let me know if I was using it. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so, like I was saying, that I think the promo that Wardlow did when he's, like, the first person to, like, turn um, babyface uh, kind of exposed a lot. 
Um, afternoon, Jersey Devil. A South Park reference? Yeah, I yeah, I remember. Okay, now I remember. I just don't know if I was using it in my, you know, long-winded talk about Warlord MJF. Um, but yeah, so, you know, um after that, like Warlord didn't really talk much for like promos. All he's been doing is like beating up guys. And what I'm getting to is that I want to talk about yesterday. So yesterday, Warlow uh, is is fighting against Big Cass, who is uh, William Morrissey over in Impact Wrestling. And, you know, what felt like to me, because I, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest here, and people are probably going to, like, shit on me, but it's totally okay. Um, I did not watch AEW yesterday, but I'm allowed to watch the highlights. I'm allowed to read the negatives and the positives on Twitter, and I could still make a very educated, informed guess as to what went on and how to fix it, okay? Okay, Jersey Devil is totally right. Just AEW in general, shit doesn't make sense um, all too often. Totally 100% correct, uh, correct on that. That is why... On this episode of the Square Circle Podcast, we are going to be talking about those general decisions and like general shit that doesn't make sense and how to turn them to make sense. So, um, like I said, I was going by highlights and I was going by the negative and the positive reactions of uh, Twitter and then got into it with this guy, which I'll explain in a little bit about uh, Warlow versus uh, Morrissey. Morrissey did a wonderful Black Hole Slam. I'm going to say that. Warlow did a wonderful moonsault. But, bro, you got to work on your moonsaults. If you want to learn how to do a really good moonsault, you call up Jeff Cobb. Jeff Cobb knows how to do moonsaults. And then AEW decides to put up uh, the video of... um, Warlow power bombing Morrissey and gets the one, two, three. And I'm like, first of all, this is why myself and probably others have trust issues when it comes to AEW and their partnerships. Because for some reason, if you're not like an AEW star, if you're not a favorite, you end up losing in AEW when you step on their turf. Also, it has been noted that even though AEW wrestlers step on someone else's turf, AEW wrestlers go over when it makes no fucking sense for them to go over on someone else's turf. Like, anyway. My biggest problem with Wardlow um, fighting Morrissey is not the fact that Morrissey showed up like, you know, he showed up like a big deal. He came out like a big deal. Like, he felt like, you know, no matter where he goes, like, he's a big deal. Um, And he could do, like, so much more in the ring. You know, they could have they had them, you know, go on for, like, a little bit longer. Uh, but my main issue is that Wardlow keeps winning. There is no sense of urgency. There is no sense of doubt. 
There is no sense of, you know, is he going to win this time? You know, me as a fan or a fan in general for like all the general fans out there. If you're tuning into your favorite show on HBO and you know that one of the one of the characters is going through an ordeal and you connected with this character and you're like, man, I feel for this character. Don't you want to tune in every single week to be like, does the character win at whatever obstacle they're trying to face? Does the character lose at whatever obstacle they're trying to face? Does the character get any perspective into the like an insight into the into the obstacle that they're trying to get over that's why you tune into a show you tune into a show so you can be like i am rooting for this character this character doesn't always have to win but the fact is is that you connected with the character because there's a similarity between you and the character and you're like well i i've already gone through X, Y, and Z that the character on the TV show is going through. So I'm going to be here to like support. And I understand. And then when the character wins, um, and then when the character wins, we all win, right? When it comes to Wardlow's case, every single match that MJF has put him against, he has won. There has never been a doubt of maybe this time he can't win. And so I had this conversation with this fan who automatically made up his mind about Warlow versus MJF for, you know, for him to say that my idea is a horrible idea um, because I was like, you know, what if he loses? Wouldn't that be an interesting development? Wouldn't it have been an interesting development if somehow Warlow lost to an, to a wrestler who, like, can get the upset on Wardlow. That's going to stay in his mind. and That's going to creep in doubt. And there goes your manipulation. Everyone wants to say that MJF is the best, you know, heel. He's the best person on the mic, but he's not doing any type of heel shit. He's not doing any type of cerebral shit where, where, you know, WWE will surely gladly give him the money that he wants when eventually his contract is up and they're going to take him. Like there's nothing manipulative that he's good that he's doing. He's when I say he, MJF is playing it safe, and that's not what wrestlers should be doing, especially with their heels. Um, I just think that we're um when it comes to AEW and when it comes to MJF, they're always missing the mark to try to make MJF like one of the greats that we get to talk about, and he has such an early career, like. You know, bringing the thing, bringing this back up again with um, if Wardlow lost at any point during this um, feud story, whatever you want to call it, and for MJF to capitalize on it, um, to play into Wardlow's fears, to play into Wardlow's like concerns and probably tell him, you know, you're always going to be contracted to me. I don't know why you even tried. Like, you're not good at trying. You're just a big man and you should stay a big man. That's that's your place in professional wrestling. Like, imagine if it was a psychological thing and you as a fan, the viewer sitting at home, you're like, damn, that fucking hits me right in the chest because sometimes, you know, you might go to your nine to five job that you fucking hate and your boss might end up saying something in passing that's like similar to MJF or like the treatment between MJF and Wardlow. So now you have an attachment to Wardlow and you want to see him win. But if you see him win all the time, 
the outcome of this story between MJF and, and Wardlow, is it going to be satisfying? Is it? I don't know if it's going to be satisfying to you guys, but I know to me that um, it, it won't be satisfying. And this is why, like, trying to have a conversation about this on Twitter is not the good, is not the best thing. Um, you know, the other thing, too, is that when I was having the conversation with this person um, on Twitter that thinks he knows everything, uh, he was saying that Morrissey is a free agent. And I'm like, well, no, he still wrestles on impact. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and then, like, you know, I posed the same question to him. I'm like, wouldn't it be interesting if, um, you know, Wardlow lost? And obviously, you know, he thought my idea was stupid and he already made up his mind. So there's no point to have conversations with AEW fans that are like that, who doesn't want to try to have a deeper layer in these stories because it's falling flat. Like, what else can MJF do? Nothing much, really. All right, I'm going to go back up and read the um the, the, the chat. Um, And obviously, ladies and gentlemen, if you are viewing this live right here on twitch.tv forward slash Marie underscore shadows, by all means, if you do not agree with anything that, that I say, like, drop it in the chat. It's totally okay. I'm here to give my opinion. You could give your opinion. We'll talk about our opinions. And if we have to be like, agree to disagree, that's totally okay too. Uh, Jersey Devil says, similar to the WWE WCW invasion, the home promotion can't make anyone outside look like a legitimate threat. Now, I would like to um, add to that. So what I would like to add to that is, um, first of all, Jersey Dev is completely right. If you were part of watching that back in the day of the WCW and WWE like invasion type of angle, um, it'll be interesting if someone from Impact, you know, came over and was a real threat and have, you know, an AEW heart and soul wrestler go and try to defend the honor of AEW. Like, we don't have that shit anymore. The only place where we have it is, like, New Japan. And Okada being fucking cocky of, like, yo, you can't have a Forbidden Door pay-per-view without Okada. Like, his words and shit like that. He doesn't care about Noah, but he knows um, about AEW and shit. Um, Jersey, Dev Jersey Devil also mentions, not to mention Warlow has been hitting three, four, five power bombs to beat people, but just one power bomb is enough to beat a seven-foot guy like W. Morrissey. I think, in all honesty, dude, if Wardlow was going to hit like three or four power bombs on Morrissey, something in that man's body was going to break. <laughs> so he wouldn't need surgery. He would have been out. I think I think the one power bomb to Morrissey is enough, but it just felt like it was like three minutes tops, you know, um, plus entrances. And yeah, I. Yeah, I don't know about that, man. But I, t I totally, I totally get what, what you, what, what you mean. Uh, Jersey Devil also says Warlow should lose. Obviously, not clean, but he should have a loss or two where he gets fucked or some sort of shenanigan. And again, I will pose the question of like, will that make you satisfied? Like, would you, would you be invested if? I'm guessing Jersey Devil. You mean when we get 
Wardlow versus MJF. And if you do mean that, this is for all the fans out there. Would you still be invested if um, Wardlow lost to MJF when they have their match? Would you still be invested? That's all like I want to know because it seems like AEW um because it seems like AEW fans like want it their way and you know don't want to have a different perspective or a different outlook than like what they're what they already have in mind. Uh, this is why I created the Square Circle Podcast so I can tell you guys a different perspective, you know, and not necessarily be like, oh, well, you know, mine is completely right. Like, wrestling is art. Uh, wrestling is, is subjective. But, like, there are certain things where it's, like, it's cut and dry and this is how, like, it should be versus, like, you know, there, there's a lot of room for maneuverability and especially when it comes to storylines and you know going with the right story momentum everything that you think of of like your favorite tv show and why it's your favorite tv show that should be in wrestling it shouldn't necessarily just be like you know oh we have a story you know it's gonna be like falling flat and shit like that you know um shouldn't really it shouldn't really be like that um the other thing too is that um Jersey Devil, I don't know if you came in. Uh, I don't. I don't really know what part you came in, but I was saying that Wardlow versus MJF, like the whole entire storyline, should have like similarities between uh, Steve Austin versus McMahon, um, only because like um, it should have that urgency. Like I was talking about earlier, that like you know, uh, I even mentioned this earlier that. Uh, Steve Austin didn't win every single thing he did against Vince McMahon. Um, and that us as fans, we live vicariously through Austin. So that way, uh, you know, we could get the sense of satisfaction to beat up our boss and stuff like that. And I was saying that we should have something similar to like that in this storyline. Uh, Jersey Devil said at this point, Warlow had no real odds to overcome. Exactly. I'm going to read that again, and this is for the people in the back. According to Jersey Devil and myself, because I approve this first line, at this point, Warlow had no real odds to overcome. Perfect. At least someone else can, you know, reiterate the point. Warlow wins and wins and wins. But is he really going to beat MJF the first go-around? If he does, then what's the point? If he doesn't, then it's, of course, he lost. Yeah. And I'm going to ask this question again. Are you going to be satisfied and interested to continue following if Warlow loses to MJF at double or nothing? And by the way, guys, ad starts in one minute. If you do not want your experience to be interrupted, you know, send over those Twitch Primes and or um, gift yourself a sub or the community some subs. Again, if you do not want your experience to be interrupted, I would gladly take uh, a Twitch Prime.
gotta stay hydrated. Okay, so, um, I think I covered all the points about Warlow versus MJF. Um, just because I don't think there's anything else uh, for me to add on. There's no, like, new development and stuff like that. Um, give me a second. So, yeah, let's see. Okay. Okay, so Jersey Devil also says, and this is coming from a lapsed fan who hasn't watched a full broadcast beginning to end of any promotion since around... uh, 2008 and 2009. And that's what makes myself and Jersey Devil, you know, I guess a tiny bit unique because we can definitely understand the end game and we can definitely put two and two together. And, you know, um, it's just one of those things of like, you know, you watched for X amount of years, um, you basically like know what's going to happen. Um, AEW has been becoming predictable. So, you know, it's sort of like, you know, what's the point, man? Like, you really do need somebody to think outside the box to really sit these guys down and really say, hey, we can't have, um, you know, these type of matches. We can't have, like, this type of storyline. Like, you know, is there an end game when we get to there? Like, AEW can't keep, um, you know, throwing shit at the wall. Like, that's what I, that's what I really hate is that, you know, they're throwing shit at the wall. Um, the other thing too is that, uh, let's talk about, um, all right. So the main thing I really want to talk about was, uh, Wardlow and MJF. Let's move on to the Varsity Blondes calling out the House of Black. Man, I I just can't anymore, man. Um, you know, I still what you know what? If I really think about it, I wasn't really like a huge fan of Alistair Black. Um, I understand his hype. I understand that he has creativity. Not really, if I'm gonna be honest. Um, you know. Alistair Black does, his creativity is more like something I really should be interested in, uh, something that I should be invested in as well. But if we're going to be really honest, I think that Judgment Day does a better job of being uh, darkness personified uh, more than the House of Black. I just don't get the House of Black at all. Um, and this whole thing with Julia and, you know, her eye and I guess her poison and or darkness is seeping through. And I'm like, all right, this story is taking way too long. Um, and, you know, I understand that there's people out there that like this story, but this is like super slow burn 
and it really did feel like they forgot about this storyline. Um, what I would have liked for the Varsity Blondes and House of Black is if this is just going to be a Julia storyline, that Julia would have had like blogs, would have had you know been on podcast episodes where it's all in character and where it basically like you know it's like hey, um, tell us about you know how did the House of Black like poison you? How did the House of Black manage to get the darkness inside of you? Like I would have liked it if. Julia Hart would have had like mini vlogs or just something, you know. Oh, of course, Jersey Devil. Thank you for being here. Um, enjoy the rest of your day, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for your input, too. So, yeah, like the thing is, I would have liked if Julia would have been. Um, you know, on top of the storyline, because it just feels like a huge ass disconnect uh, for like story and stuff like that. So I think this has been going on for like six to eight months, where in the USB arena, which is here in uh, Long Island, um, New York City, um, which next Wednesday they're going to be there to have dynamite. Um, I think they're going to be at the USB arena or like somewhere else on Long Island. Um, Malachi Black, who's the leader of House of Black, uh, basically poisoned, gave Julia, Julia some darkness, and she's been wearing this eye patch. And I remember when um, she first had the eye patch on and, you know, was part of a BTE segment, like, it just looks so fucking stupid. It looks so silly where it's like she's, you know, bumping into everything now that she has a fucking eye patch and whatnot. They wanted to make light of it. They were just doing a stupid little skit, and, you know, I totally get that. But at the same time, it's like, it's silly. Come on, like, um, it's, it's just that there's not enough to push this storyline and because it's more of a Julia storyline, um, you know, she should do everything in her power to push it. Uh again, to show a different side of her where she has these vlogs and maybe talking to herself and trying to um and you know maybe getting like a split personality because if Malachi is uh poisoning you with whatever darkness he has, you know, you should end up getting some fucking paranoia or, like, some schizophrenia rather than trying to play the fucking emo character, sit on the stairs as if no one fucking, you know, wants to acknowledge you while your teammates, Brian Pittman Jr. and, and Gif Gar Griff Garrison, are fighting in the ring. Like, I don't understand that. It's like, you're either gonna be there or you're not gonna be there. If you don't want to be there because you think that no one is paying attention to your ass, then don't fucking be there. It's as simple as that. You can stay in the back. You can stay in catering until, like, you know, um, they, uh, like, you know, until they need you or something. Um,
anyway, um, I just don't like it. So I was saying that this is how um, you fix this. You fix it by going Hollywood, so to speak. Um, you go Hollywood so that way you can make it into a movie. Um, that's what Malachi likes to do. He likes to have these really high-end production type of promos where, again, it, it feels very overwhelming to have these type of promos in a sense where, like, you know, it doesn't get me interested. It's so fucking flat. And Malachi Black sort of doesn't know well, it doesn't feel like he knows um, how to really like. I don't know. I don't know what's the right word I'm looking for or the right idea I'm looking for. But it's just his style of doing the promos for the House of Black never really, you know, catched on to me. Just because they were just too short, and it's like feels like it speaks in in riddles and and tongues, and I'm like. I need something more, man. Like, I'd rather listen to Edge with Damian Priest than listen to Malachi Black. And it's not a, like, an intelligent level thing. It's just more like, who presents the information better? Who presents their team better? Edge's team, which is Judgment Day, and that's Edge and Damian Priest, they present Judgment Day better even though you know that all their promos, I, well, maybe maybe Vince gives Edge, you know, some leeway. But regardless, you know that WWE is scripted. But the way that Edge can take the scripted promos, make it his own, and get you invested is what I like. When Malachi Black does his um, promos about the House of Black, I'm here like, all right, I just don't get it. Nothing interests me. Like, it really doesn't. Um, but I think that this whole storyline that's been happening for like six to eight months should have at least had some type of duality that Julia is struggling with. Um, and then it gets, you know, to a point where it gets bad. And this is where the varsity blondes come in because they want to help her, but they don't know how to help her. Um, and basically like have this big, climax of a story that comes to a head that probably should have came to a head yesterday but it might uh come to a head next week uh but apparently like on dynamite julia uh was given the chair but she didn't want to hit garrison with it um and uh uh malachi black didn't like that so he took the eye patch off of Julia and I was saying that does that make her good again like does the, does the evil come out um you know does the evil come out so yeah like I don't know man it's just really 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 weird um anyway so, this is how I would fix the House of Black for them to go fucking, you know, horror and whatnot. Which I already alluded to that, like, you know, they should do 
vlogs and stuff like that. Um, you know, first of all, Julia should have explained that she feels off. She feels different. She sees the world in a different way than, you know, the ordinary person because she has the eye patch and that, um, she basically like has these powers, I guess, that Malachi Black gave to her. Um, I would think of it like a really big movie set for this. Um, Malachi Black and, you know, his two people can do the same thing that they've always done. Um, I just think they, they should have tapped in to the vlogging side of things, keeping people up to date. Malachi Black um, requesting specific podcast episodes where it's all in character. Because um, sometimes, you know, podcasters out there, like, even though you're doing interviews, maybe sometimes you can do, like, an in-character interview where, you know, you're pushing uh, the storyline because it doesn't seem like AEW wants to push anything unless, like, you know, you tell Tony Khan, yeah, we're pushing this. Um, you know what made this feel like it was forgotten? It's because even though I know that the Varsity Blondes are wrestling on Dark, because uh, I see the highlights and stuff. It just felt like there was a time period of the Varsity Blondes not being in attendance at AEW. And nothing was really said. Nobody talks about the Julia storyline. And then now that we had the Varsity Blondes calling out the House of Black yesterday. It feels like everybody is an expert in this story. And it's like, you're not really like... I don't know how you can become an expert when there's like a big chunk of story missing, you know, like, I don't understand that. I really don't. Um, so yeah, um, I would just say that, um, I would just say that they can still, um, you know, do this um they can still um fix it but i am so over it um i am so over okay hold on i am so over um this storyline it's like it doesn't really move i need it to move but it really doesn't move um, and then I don't know what, I don't know what we really got yesterday, you know, um, I don't know how far we got yesterday by having Malachi Black take off the eye patch of Julia and stuff like that. Okay, so I don't really know what else to say about Varsity Blondes uh, calling out the House of Black. Um, I really do hope that this story gets wrapped up because it really feels like it wasn't taken care of the way that it should be, you know. Um, and by the way, Buddy Murphy is, uh, or Buddy Matthews is doing better in other promotions than 
AEW, so um, that's always a plus. Um, anyway, uh, what's another big issue that I had with this? Um, I will talk about the Blackpool Combat Club. Because that seems to be everyone's favorite, like, darling uh, trios team. And I just can't seem to find myself to like it. Um, I understand the nature of the team. I understand the reason why it was created. You know, um, I feel like... The only cool thing about it is William Regal, okay? I saw the promo package of William Regal basically explaining what the Blackpool Combat Club is, and you could definitely feel the chills and the vibe that it gives off. And that's all thanks to William Regal. The people that they have in it, so like Daniel Bryan and John Moxley and Wheelie Yuta, I just can't fully embrace the trio. I just really can't. And no, no promoter in the world is going to tell me that uh, a star is born. Meaning, really, Yuta, a star is born. No one tells me what wrestler is a star. The wrestler has to really be good at their job in everything that is considered on how to be a wrestler like a star, okay? Um... The Rock is a self-made star. Austin is a self-made star. Like, you know, those guys are self-made stars. Um, Wheelie Yuta is not there yet. And people are probably going to get upset at me, but that's totally okay. I really don't mind. Um, if you do get upset, either drop it in the chat or leave me a message on Twitter at Marie underscore Shadows, and, you know, we'll go from there. But I don't see... Wheelie Yuta as a star just yet. I am happy that Wheelie Yuta is going to be in Best of the Super Juniors in New Japan Pro Wrestling, which again starts on May 15th. And I, I guess he's going to bring the uh, the Ring of Honor Pure Championship um, over there just to showcase it so that the Japanese fans know that, you know, there's, there's Ring of Honor. But now I get to really sit down and look at Wheelie Yuta as a wrestler and maybe fall in love with his wrestling style, um, become a fan of his. Um, cause right now I'm just watching him, but then people tend to hype him up. And when people hype up somebody that's like still, still, that's still young in the business, that's not a good sign. Um, so at least with best of the super juniors, everything will be stripped down to its fundamentals. There won't be any funny business. Well, unless your show of house of torture but technically, there will not be no funny business, and I get to really see the bare bones of all the hard work and years that Wheelie Yuta has put into the business, and I can finally give a proper assessment. Um, so look out for those reviews when we get into Best of the Super Juniors. So, yeah, that's that's one thing. Um, Moxley is always going to be a hit or miss for me. This guy has went to rehab, got better, but instead of using alcohol or 
any type of drugs to, you know, calm his inner demons, he's blading a lot more when he doesn't need to blade. And just teaching that um, blading is like, you know, okay in matches. And it's like, no, dude, um, blading all the time is not okay in matches. And, you know, that shouldn't really be a thing just to enhance the story of, you know, of it. Um, but then again, he's always a hit or miss for me. He does the WWE hot tag shit and stuff like that. I'm just like, I just can't with you, Moxley. Um, and by the way, I'm still like, um, I'm still a little upset at Moxley for him trying to call out Tanahashi, trying to be like, um, you know, he runs. Uh, New Japan and, and New Japan Strong, and it's like, bro, sit the fuck down. You've been in AEW ever since you tried to call out Tanahashi, and you didn't even do anything after your match where you could have said, hey, Tana, I hope you were watching because this is going to be the end result when I get to you at, at Capital Collision May 14th in uh, Philadelphia, and I'm going to come and take that IWGP United States Championship title. No, didn't do anything like that. So I really do need Moxie to stop talking shit and, like, only talk his shit when, you know, he can back it up. Um, May 14th um, is going to be a New Japan Strong taping where we're going to have a fatal four-way of Tanahashi, who is our IWGP United States champion, taking on Will Ospreay, taking on Moxie, taking on... Um, I should know the, the, the fourth one. Um. Oh my God! It's a fatal four way. I should know the fourth one. Why is it not coming to me? I was man. I was really talking my shit too. Um. Man. Uh. Who also is jumping in line? Is it May fifteenth or May fourteenth? So they're oh, so they're doing a uh, they're doing a, a double highlight for Philly. Oh, Juice Robinson! I don't know why I couldn't remember Juice Robinson. All right, so let me say that again. We are heading to NJPW Strong Capital Collision, where it's going to be the IWGP United States Heavyweight Champion Tanahashi taking on John Moxley, taking on Will Ospreay, taking on Juice Robinson. And, you know, again, um, if you're not going to talk your shit until we get there to build up the match, then, like, you know, sit down, bro. It's okay. Sit down. Um, what I would like to say about Daniel Bryan is that I used to be a huge fan of Daniel Bryan. I know he is one of the best technical wrestlers in the world. And as you guys know, I love technical wrestlers more than I love uh, the flippy guys um, that have no fucking psychology added on to their flips. Um, I respect Danielson. I just really have, I fell out of being a fan, which is going to sound stupid, uh, when he decided to uh, date and uh, marry one of the Bella twins. Um, and then, you know, WWE had him do the, the, the freaking yes movement. And I just really can't anymore. I'm just like, it doesn't, it doesn't really, I don't really get excited to see Danielson. Um, I know other people like the Blackpool Combat Club, but I just, I just can't get behind them. 
I can get behind William Regal because I could believe anything this guy tells me. But the three of them, no, not really. Like, I think that even though John Moxie has all this passion, it still feels like, bro, are you like faking some of this shit? Are you not faking some of this shit? Uh, do you have to, you know, get so pumped up and animated by like the hot tag by just doing um, clotheslines, get the guy out, um, decide to throw the guy over the table? And then nothing really happens, and then throw him, uh, throw him back over the table. Like, man, it's such a hit or miss. And then all three of them, their finisher basically is attacking the other guys with, with elbows. And I'm like, how is that exciting? How? How the fuck is that exciting? Like, I don't get it. I really don't. And then the bad part is, is that there's no other trios team that can match the Blackpool Combat Cub as violent as they are. That's why, you know, the tag team division doesn't really um, work really well because the matchups are so odd. You know, one team is not matching the energy of the other team. And the matches I'm talking about is that the Butcher and the Blade teaming up with Angelico because they got to find something for Angelico to do now that Jack Evans is no longer with the company. Um... You know, taking on the Blackpool, the Blackpool Combat Club, I can see that the Butcher and the Blade can match the ferocity and the violence of the Blackpool Combat Club minus Wheeler Yuta. It for me, Wheeler Yuta doesn't scream violent person, so I don't really get that yet. I Wheeler Yuta to me screams out wrestler. Okay, he screams out wrestler. He doesn't um, scream out violent. Um, Daniel Bryan and John Moxley scream out semi-violent, but Butcher and Blade scream out violent, if that makes sense. So I can understand that the Butcher and the Blade can take on the Blackpool Combat Club, but to have Angelico in there really doesn't, like, the matchup, the energy doesn't, like, really flow right when it comes to their matchups of, I should say their verses of, like, teams. Uh, Ronan in the chat says, uh, John Moxie is animated to, what's your point? What? Uh, my point is, is that John Moxie will always be a hit or miss for me, uh, when he's, like, super fucking animated and shit. It's just like, bro, just calm down a little bit. It's okay. It's all right. You know, your opponent is not going anywhere. Um, this is how, like, accidents happen. This is how, like, choreographies get fucked up because John Moxie is going at like a thousand miles per hour while like the wrestler meaning uh when he did the hot tag he he went against the blade the blade is going at normal speed which is like a hundred and then you have John Moxie here um you know coming out really hot and all this kind of shit and going like a thousand miles per hour um so yeah um anyway so yeah i just can't really get behind the blackpool combat club and anyway if moxie really wanted to make a statement about you know um feeling some type of way that tanahashi was avoiding him why doesn't he go the route of uh heading over to new japan strong or creating an angle with any of the uh, the, re the rest of the Hantai guys um, to do something about it. Because, I, I mean, 
Let's see. Who's friends with Tanahashi? We have, I mean, Rocky is friends with Okada. Rocky is part of Chaos, but, you know, he could still go after Rocky because Rocky is like the main point, the main person that, um, you know, can get things done. So why not go after Rocky if you really felt some type of way? All right. Um, I really do not care about the grudge match of Chris Jericho versus Santana. I really think that it's time for Jericho to um, just help out in the back. Um, I really don't think that we need more Jericho on our TV. And, you know, it's really sad that... Um, Pride and Powerful, Santana and um, uh, Ortiz um, still have not hold, held those uh, AW Tag Team Championships. Um, it feels like almost all the championships are just revolving around the same people uh, just because of the ranking system, and it gets a little wacky from there. The only two that I can say that hasn't really felt like this is uh, the women's uh, championship title. Give me a second. The women's uh, championship title and the TBS title, um, even though, you know, I don't know how much longer they're going to keep it on Jade. But, yeah. Um, I saw some of the highlights of Deanna Perrazzo versus Mercedes Martinez. And while I love both women, uh, it felt like they got the wrong end of the deal because the crowd was dead for some reason for the main event. Um, and this was just Deanna dropping the belt to uh, Mercedes. Uh, because even though Mercedes was the interim Ring of Honor's champion, um, you know, it was a given. It wasn't like, you know, the build-up to it and stuff like that. Um, the only build-up this had was Deanna going on podcast shows and basically talking her shit about that she's a real... Um, Ring of Honor Women's Champion, and that you know she um basically like you know would show up anytime, anywhere uh to uh face people. Um, so you know it's kind of sad where um it's really kind of sad that uh we had the match, there wasn't really much reaction to it. It looked like it started out slow, like it's supposed to be a, um, you know, like a, a technical wrestling match. But, like, Deanna had, like, really good sort of fast-paced matches where they still had, like, technical stuff. You don't always have to start out slow when you want a technical match. Like, there's ways to work around it. And then, you know, people were complaining that it was going to be 10 minutes. Um, and that's only because of, um, like, 
you know, where they're placed. And then if you look at the time, it's like, oh, it's 10 minutes till 10. You know that AEW has a two-hour time slot. So, you know, there's... I know it feels like on Twitter that every time people complain about something, um, it always feels like, well, what do you really want if you're always going to complain? So what I would have liked is that they would have gave a 60-minute time limit to Deanna and Mercedes as what you're supposed to do with championship matches. You're supposed to at least give like a 60-minute time limit, if not 30 at most, right? But you eliminate matches that you don't fucking need. You don't need a grudge match between Jericho and Santana. That could be on, on Rampage. Um, You could put one of the men qualifying matches over on Rampage. You could have put Wardlow versus um, Morrissey over on uh, Rampage. Um, If that was only going to be like maybe a three-minute match tops. And you dedicate your main event, your Ring of Honor main event on AW Dynamite to a 30-minute, maybe 60-minute match. Um, and then that, that would have like probably quieted us down. The other thing too is, um, you know, I know that during AW Dynamite, they showed the, uh, the video package of, um, you know, William Regal talking about the, the Black Food Combat Club, which is great. It, it's great. It's a start. However, they should have been doing that for like almost everything on AW Dynamite. And if they really want um, help on how to space out their segments, you take cues from Impact. Because Impact has been doing it properly, and they know how to space everything now. They know what to, uh, like, who to put on the show, rather than trying to just squish everything um, in, like, two hours. That's what AEW does. AEW doesn't give you time to breathe. AEW doesn't give you time to digest when it comes to, um, you know, their shows. Which is really, which is a really bad thing. Um, so, yeah, I would, I wish that they would have thought it out better for the women. I wish they would have did it a little bit better, but they really didn't do that. Um, you know, but like I said, this was for Deanna to drop the belt to Mercedes Martinez. Um, if anything, if I was Deanna, I probably would have dragged this out until double or nothing to really get that sixty-minute match in at double or nothing. Um, so that way it could be a chase for it, you know, um, where Deanna could have turned heel on, uh, Tony Khan because Tony Khan wants to play a character so bad in professional wrestling. So why not? Right. Why not tell your boss that, you know, that you don't get to make the rules. Like she's a champion. She has more say she has more pull, like pull a Ric Flair back in the day during NWA days. Um, and when he was going around the territory, like if you are the champion, you should get as much pull and probably abuse your power as much as you can to get what you want because you are the true champion. Imagine if they had these series of matches, both Liana and Mercedes having these series of matches where um, the the payoff is at double or nothing. Then we could sit here and talk about AEW is starting to revitalize, you know, the women's division and giving us this and that and creating story and, you know, doing that. It might be a little bit difficult because Deanna has other obligations to fulfill. Um, I'm not sure if um, Mercedes does too, but imagine that 
that chase, that back and forth between, you know, two women athletes, two athletes in general, um, until we get to double or nothing to crown the true Ring of Honor champion. But no, does Tony Khan think that far ahead? No. And then we have AEW fans who are like, oh my God, this is so amazing. No, you're missing the big picture. Let stories have stories. Let stories breathe. Let stories be digestible to you guys. So that way when the payoff happens, you're like, oh my God, that was really great. Let's talk about it. Let's have a debate about it. Let me tell you the story from point A to point B. Let me break it down for you. Um, but I really can't do that because we had one match um, and that was it. And Mercedes Martinez had Deanna Perrazzo tap to a dragon sleeper, which is still a very hardcore move. But, you know, we had a one match, one and done. And as a quick reminder, ads start in four minutes, and you, and if you do not want your experience to be interrupted during the Square Circle podcast, by all means, send me your Twitch primes and or gifted subs, so that way you do not um, get an ad and miss the lovely conversation that we are having. Okay. Um let's see. We can talk about the Owen Hart tournament, which for those of you that are gonna be listening to this on the VOD, like you know, um I might get hate for it, but I don't really care. All right, I managed to get the male brackets. Um, I don't know if they put up the female brackets, but um, I managed to get that. So, yeah. Anyway. um, All right. Just another quick reminder at start in one minute.
All right. So the first thing that I'm going to say might really, really, really piss people off. Um, especially when they listen to this on the VOD. Or if you are lurking, um, this is probably going to piss you off. I do not like the way that the Owen Hart tournament has been handled. I think now um, that it's just putting Owen's name Putting Owen's name on a tournament, um, basically like to get money. Even though they said that the money does not go to AEW, the money goes to uh, the Owen Hart Foundation and it goes to Martha. And they basically like do whatever they need to do with, um, you know, uh, the money. Which is great. Awesome. You know, it's, it's very caring. It's a very great cause and stuff like that. But the way that it has been structured, where there's no thinking, where there's no planning, we could have got the brackets earlier rather than getting, I'm guessing it's it's a quarterfinals of the Owen Hart um, tournament for both the men and the women. And there's no variety, in a sense, uh, for this tournament. Sure, we have very outstanding um, you know, competitors like, you know, Ray Phoenix, Kyle O'Reilly, Samoa Joe, and then this Joker, where it could be anybody, is definitely not going to be Bret Hart, okay? It's not going to be Bret Hart. Jeff Hardy, Darby Allen, Adam Cole, and Dax Hardwood. Like, for me, a tournament has to be very hardy. It has to have um, the brackets, so that way we can fantasy book about it, we can talk about it, we can, you know, tell each other why this wrestler could go over this wrestler and this wrestler, you know, may not make it, or you think that, you know, this wrestler goes only but so far because, you know, the other wrestlers don't really have enough star power to beat them. Like, when I covered the New Japan Cup, um, that was very fun, that was, like, really, really fun. Um, but, you know, Japan gives us the brackets early on. We talk about the brackets. I explained to you guys why Tama should have won the New Japan Cup um, and why, in story, it would have been cool to have um, Tama versus Fale. That would have been, like, super, super dense story, and I explained why it would be a good idea. In this Owen Hart tournament, I can't explain shit to you guys. So I don't understand how AEW geared podcasters out there can like really dive deep into the world of AEW, into the stories, into the wrestlers, if we're not given the proper information and everybody just goes along and accepts anything that Tony Khan gives them without question. When you don't question anymore. How are you going to learn? When you question, you grow. When you question, you learn more. You gain more knowledge. And you have a better outlook and a better narrative to be like, all right, I understand your points. However, these are my counterpoints. These are my perspectives. And this is how, you know, I see 
the tournament and why they make the decisions that they make. So I just don't understand if like you're still in a bubble that you know goes around and keeps the same tribalism feelings in your bubble. How are you able gonna how are you gonna grow as a podcaster? How are you gonna grow as a content creator if you're not asking the hard questions, if you're not asking the um the right questions and pressuring, you know, the powers that be, the management. You know, we got this bracket of Ray Phoenix versus Cal O'Reilly. All right, cool. Um, did they have any type of vignettes or video packages where they explain what Owen Hart means to them and like where they were when Owen Hart was like already wrestling, like where they were in their lives? No. I don't know why Samoa Joe is in here. Um, I don't know what kind of ties he has to like, you know, Owen Hart or like the Hart family or anything like that. Jeff Hardy wrestled Owen Hart when Jeff Hardy was still a teenager. So that's something. Uh, that's something. But like, you know, there's no video package of like what this means to Jeff. Darby. Darby gets thrown into anything. Um, I don't even know if he has anything sentimental towards Owen Hart. Adam Cole is a Shawn Michaels guy. So why the fuck is he in here? Dax Harwood, we all know that he loves Bret Hart. He loves the whole Hart Foundation. Um, and I think that sometimes, instead of paying tribute to the way that Dax does, to the way that CM Punk does, like, start doing original shit. Like, you don't always have to pay tribute to somebody. And there's a way to do it where it doesn't feel kind of cringy. So, you know, I just don't, I just don't know, man. This was not um really well thought out most of the stuff in AEW is not thought out everything is i'm gonna throw shit to the wall and that's about it um we're gonna see what happens and of course fans are gonna be like oh my god this is great but now i'm starting to see the flip side of things where um you know people are like yo this is not a really good episode yo what is happening here you know why is this happening why is that happening they're starting to question it but the loyal AEW fans will definitely come on your tweets and, you know, talk some fucking nonsense uh, to you and think that, you know, they know more. And it's like, no, you don't. Like, you can sit down. It's okay. Um, so, yeah. Um, I just don't like how the Owen Hart tournament has been handled for both the men and the women. And, you know, um, I really don't want to bring this up, but there's really no... Um, there's really no black athletes in this. There really isn't. Um, and this is what we mean when we say that, you know, uh, the black athletes should have the same opportunities as everyone else. Ray Phoenix does not count in this conversation because he is Mexican. So at least that's something there. But everyone else, like, you know, there's, you know, there's no black athletes here and there's no black athletes over in um you know the women's side um and like i said this is basically what we mean when we say that the the black athletes don't really necessarily get the same opportunities as um you know their colleagues sometimes um it would have been nice to have like Will Hobbs in here. Like, why is Will Hobbs not in here? Um, 
We can have Swerve in here. We can have Jay Lethal in here. We can have, um, I don't know, Jonathan Gresham in here because Jonathan Gresham is a very technically sound wrestler. Um, you know, it just doesn't make any sense why there's no black athletes in uh, the Owen Hart tournament. Um, it makes no sense when Owen Hart is the definition and the personification of technical wrestling the same way that, um, you know, Bret Hart is. And it's just really sad that, you know, I got to be here and be like, hey, well, we have these guys here. You know, I don't know what their connection is. I honestly do not know um, who the Joker is going to be. Um, I don't have any idea uh, what the Joker, uh, like who's going to debut as the Joker. Um, and I really think it's stupid to have a Joker to come in at this point in time in the tournament when the tournament should have really been thought out where the tournament should have really been like, all right, we're doing this, this, and this. We're not going to have some random ass fucking matches. Like, I still think that it's wrong to, um, had Adam Cole versus Ishii. Um, and you know, again, AEW fans are so fucking weird. They don't like understanding the bigger picture of what was wrong with Ishii versus Adam Cole in a perfect world. Ishii can beat Adam Cole. In a perfect world, Adam Cole cannot beat Ishii. Ishii, you don't fuck with Ishii. The same way that you don't fuck with Suzuki, you don't fuck with you don't fuck with Ishii either. Um and Ishii doesn't really get a really good spotlight when it comes to AEW. And then they're still doing the the freaking New Japan. And then they are still doing the New Japan, um, ah, uh, damn, what's the word? Uh, bits where it's Ishii versus, um, uh, Jay White, uh, where Jay White still messes with Ishii and they're still doing that. And I'm like, guys, get over it. Like, yes, yeah, stop that. And I only say that because I have followed their feud and talked about their feud and I'm a little tired of talking about their feud. Anyway. So, um, someone said, why are you questioning uh, you know, what does it even mean for Ishii to, like, fight Adam Cole? Because I was like, what is it really gonna do? Like, announcing Ishii versus Adam Cole just because it's supposed to um, you know, get us hyped for the Forbidden Door pay-per-view, but we all know that Ishii loses. Like, I swear, sometimes male wrestling fans uh, should sit down when, um, you know, women are talking. Um, just because, like, I know what I, I know what I talk about. Um, I know the reasons why I, I ask certain questions, and if you don't know the answer to certain questions, it's okay. You could just tell me, I don't know. I, you know, that's okay. Then, you know, trying to make yourself look like an ass and then trying to assume things. Um, but yeah, like because you're advertising for the forbidden door, um, that, uh, you know, you're going to have Adam Cole versus Ishii. That doesn't do anything. We know Ishii's not going to like win. 
Um, we know Adam Cole is going to win because we know Ishii has, you know, um, impact tapings to do and then maybe his indies and then going back to Japan. Um, so, you know, yeah. Um, I just don't think that this tournament is worth it, that this tournament holds any type of value to it. Um, just because, you know, it doesn't feel like a tournament for or an Owen Hart. It feels like a tournament with just his name on it. Um, and that's it. So, uh, yeah, I know there's probably like some other, um, some other stuff I want to talk about it too, but that's mainly like the main point is that, um, it doesn't feel like as big as it should be. Um, it should definitely feel big, like regardless of, regardless of, you know, um, the death of Owen Hart and how that situation was handled and how Martha feels and stuff like that. Like, regardless of that, um, it's just, it should feel bigger than what it is. It should feel like everyone is coming together to celebrate and honor a life. And this should be the only time where Martha should put aside her fucking differences and have Bret Hart there and, you know, um, Bret Hart be part of this and, I would have Bret Hart on the committee. Like, I would have told Martha, like, hey, you know, that's that's his fucking brother. No matter what happens, like, you know, that hurt him the most than, like, hurting anyone else in a way, if that makes sense. Um, that that That's, like, his baby brother. Like, you can't be like, oh, no, um, you know, that hurt you more than, than, than the actual blood relative that had to grow up with him in a house, you know, uh, there's a difference of love. There's a difference of behavior when like, you know, you grow up with your sibling versus, you know, your sibling going off and marrying somebody that comes into the family, you know? Um, like I would have told Martha to put aside her differences and have, um, Bret Hart come in and have him work on this special project because this is a special project and this should be something special for AEW and for the fans to celebrate. But again, like the, the, the fans could be somewhat toxic and the fans will just take whatever Tony Khan gives them rather than, you know, questioning it or just wanting it to be um, special. This tournament doesn't feel special. This tournament just feels like it was just thrown together for the sake of throwing it together. And if, Tony Khan really did care about the history of professional wrestling. He would have given us brackets. He would have had matches that made sense. We would have, well, AEW, I guess a week, I'm not part of the team. Um, AEW would have um, basically, like, uh, did a lot of vignettes, a lot of promos uh, with the people in the tournament, already have those packages ready to go and they could have been on a special episode of you know the road to and then talk about it throughout the week but tony khan doesn't think big tony khan thinks small and thinks what's what's in the now um he really doesn't think long term unless it's like the wrestler thinking long term for their long-term stories but in general like um it doesn't feel like he thinks about the long term especially when it came to this owen hart tournament it just felt like 
Oh, all right, cool, whatever. Um, that type of thing. Um, so yeah, uh, there, there's that for the Owen Hart uh tournament. Again, if you guys do not agree, which I think a lot of people are not going to agree, that's totally fine. You know where to find me at Marie underscore Shadows. If you want to say some shit, you know we'll see what happens. Um. Now let's talk about. Let's talk about the Forbidden Door, which is June twenty sixth, and it's sold out. I was not afraid of it not selling out. If that makes any sense, like I never doubted it wasn't going to sell out. I'm I'm only doubting the matches that's going to be happening, the booking that's going to be happening, because I do not trust Tony Khan and his booking. Uh, if this recent eight or oh, recent, well, yesterday's AW Dynamite is any indication of that, I really don't trust it. Tony Khan's handling of New Japan Pro wrestlers, Impact wrestlers, and Ring of Honor wrestlers uh, proves that too. Where um, you know, I just don't trust it. I really don't. Um, so, you know, the Forbidden Door sells out. The Forbidden Door sells out, uh, the United Center, and not one match has been, um, you know, announced. Uh, so it got sold out because of the collaboration. However, again, I pose this question to you guys. How many think that the majority of those tickets being sold were scalpers buying the tickets during the pre-sale? Like, I really do think that it's, it was like a majority of that is scalpers. And then yet then we sort of praise the fact that, you know, they sell out, um, which is, which is okay, which, which is okay. But um, you know, you also gotta live in a realistic world where, like, any type of convention, any type of, like, event, um, would usually have scalpers, and they turn it, and they basically, like, you know, resell it for more. So while, yes, we celebrate that the Forbidden Door, um, come June 26th, has sold out, you know, how many of that are, you know, wrestling fans, and how many of that are scalpers? Um, I just like living in reality, uh, for a bit rather than, um, you know, just assuming and praising like, oh my God, congratulations. Yes, it is a congratulations type of moment. Um, but other than that, it's like, all right, cool. But what about those scalpers? Because you could go on like, I don't know, maybe like StubHub, maybe they'll like resell it for a lot more money. eBay, they'll, re they'll resell it for a lot more money because they know that how big, this is, and this changes the wrestling industry for like a little bit. Well, for a little, for maybe a little while, it changes the um, the wrestling business. So people know how big it is. People know how important it is. So that's why you know scalpers are there to buy to buy up most of the, the tickets and basically like resell them. Um, so yeah, that's the only question that I have. Other than that, like we we should give the um, ordinary, normal thing of congratulations AEW for selling out the Forbidden Door uh, pay per view. 
And I really do need um, Jay White to say that he single-handedly sold out the United Center. I do not um, want to hear that CM Punk had any, like, hand in it because he's been quiet about the Forbidden Door. He's been dodging Kenta. He's been dodging Okada. Like, he hasn't said shit. So this victory, this victory lap goes to Jay White, okay? This victory lap goes to Jay White. It's not going to go to CM Punk, um, you know. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know uh, who listens to uh, Tom McDonald here, but when he did the second diss rap to... Oh, no. When he did the first diss rap to um, uh, Mac Lethal, there's a line that he says... I'm selling I'm selling out shows in your town. That's exactly what Jay White is doing. Jay White is selling out venues. Jay White is selling out the United Center in um CM Punk's town. Yep. I went there. Um because, you know, again, let's face it. Jay White is wrestling's number one asset. So it only serves him right to, um, you know, sell out this one. Um, I just. I almost forgot to talk about Hangman. That's how much of a forgettable champion that he is. Um, so, I guess keeping the Forbidden Door um, thing up. Uh, let's talk about Hangman Adam Page for a second. And his AEW reign. I'm going to ask this very honestly to you guys. And again, you guys can drop your answer in the chat. And or you can, you know, find me on Twitter at Marie underscore Shadow to so let me know. Um, basically, are you remembering his title reign? Because I am not remembering his title reign. And I will say this, though, that uh, because he was out last week and that's because he caught COVID, um, that, that doesn't count. Um, but I mean, in terms of the hangman discourse i was gonna say discord the hangman discourse right is basically now people are saying that he is turning heel and you know what hold on (laughs) that he's turning heel because um you know of what he said uh, to um, CM Punk about wrestling him and uh, stuff like that, right? You know, because at Double or Nothing, we get Hangman Adam Page versus uh, we get Hangman Adam Page versus um, CM Punk at Double or Nothing. And it's like, alright, cool, you know, because uh, CM Punk is number one in the rankings, which again makes no fucking sense. But you know, I'm not gonna rack my brain around it. So, 
um, he says that they're not going to have this masturbatory uh, Bret Hart uh, dedication match uh, when they fight at Double or Nothing. Cool. Awesome. Um, that, I guess people had uh, took offense to it because, you know, it's a jab at, uh, you know, Bret Hart and there's a lot of people who like Bret Hart and then there's a lot of people who tend to jump on the bandwagon of of things and uh, there's other people that just want to be like super fucking emotional, um, you know, about things anyway in general. So um, the thing is that um, I don't really remember much from Hangman Adam Page. Um, him being a champion, I really don't remember much. I just remember that he faced uh, Daniel Bryan twice. He had uh, Lance Archer in a Texas death match. Um, he faced Adam Cole, and that's it. Um, and, you know, I'm just like, there's not much he's doing. Um, he's not carrying himself like a champion. He's not being positioned like a champion. Uh, he's just not memorable. And that's something that we all got to, like, you know, one day accept, especially if he's going to be dropping the belt to CM Punk. Not that I want him to drop the belt to CM Punk because, you know, fuck Punk. Um, I just don't think that Punk is for the people anymore. Um, I don't, I still think that, you know, he's still playing us, um, and shit like that. But other than that, like, um, I don't understand why Hangman doesn't have the fire that he should be, um, having, you know? Um, I just don't understand where it's at. Um, so, uh, the other thing too is that, um, if Hangman was presented more like Roman Reigns, then he'll feel better to be on screen and on TV. But between him showing up on Dynamite, getting overshadowed by everybody, and basically, like, just, um, you know, feeling like he's not part of the show and stuff like that. Like, it's really bad. Um, and people are definitely going to disagree with me because they love Hangman. And, you know, I totally get it. I love Hangman, too. I once, well, I once did. Um, but decisions can cause somebody to fall out of love with uh, their favorite wrestler. Um, other, other than that, like, if they would present him more like a Roman Reigns type of strong, uh, champion, then that'd be great because it's really sad that we have more buzz about the TNT championship title than we do the AEW championship title. And this is where like Tony Khan needs to get like a team and definitely be like, Hey, we got to put this in place. We got to put that in place. And like all this kind of shit. Um, I just don't think Hangman is a strong enough champion uh, to continue to carry the company. And you can definitely tell, like, which guys are, like, not championship material. And, you know, that's okay. Sometimes people need to have their, you know, first run with a champion to really see, like, is this for them? Um, I just don't think that in the long run, um, uh, in the long run, uh, Hangman Adam Page is the right person to have a championship on. 
maybe he can try, um, you know, uh, the TNT Championship title and see where that takes him. But other than that, like, I don't really see, I never really saw Hangman as championship material. I did at one point, but then, you know, his story sort of fell through. Um, other than that, like, oh, I was going to say that we wouldn't be having this Hangman turn heel discourse if he was presented like Roman Reigns, in a way. Um, yeah. And also at Double or Nothing, I really do want Hangman to keep the title. I really don't want Punk to get it. I really don't. And again, you know, a lot of people on Twitter will be like, especially in, in the AEW fan base, you know, they always love to rub it in other people's faces about, you know, oh, well, you know, look at the guys that they're pushing. They're not all they're not all WWE guys. And look what happened here. Look what happened there. It's the AEW originals. And it's like, well, who the fuck is going after Hangman right now? An ex-WWE wrestler, CM Punk, who fucking, you know, left the business and left us, and he's he's going for the title. Why isn't any of the AEW pillars going for the title? Why wasn't the next story um, was MJF going against um, Hangman while MJF deals with Wardlow? Like, why couldn't we get that? Uh, why couldn't... Um, Someone else go after the title. Like, the rankings are a blessing and the rankings are a curse. The rankings also don't make sense. Um, but then again, like like I say most of the time that, you know, I have, I have a Steiner math degree. Uh, so don't talk to me about rankings or math or anything like that. But if you want to talk about books and you want to talk about writing, then, you know, I'm your girl. But other than that, like, I just, you know, we have a WWE former WWE um, wrestler going after an AEW belt, um, you know, so early in his, like, fucking career and shit, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, so, I have no idea what else to talk about. I think I covered everything that I wanted to talk about for this episode. Um, and... Yeah, I think I talked about everything. Um, um, yeah, I have nothing else. I have nothing else to like really add. Um, like I said, New Japan Pro Wrestling is just doing little tiny activities. Um, and then uh, May 15th is when we're going to start Best of the Super Juniors, so stay tuned here. So, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do my, my outro and uh, relax for the rest of the night. And, yeah. Um, Alright, ladies and gentlemen, that was a fantastic episode of the Square Circle Podcast where I broke down almost everything that I wanted to break down for a wrestling review show. So we went over AEW Dynamite. I presented some questions. I basically asked you if you would still be interested in Wardlow if he loses to MJF at Double or Nothing. Because winning all the time, there's no stake. There is no um, urgency or anything like that for him to overcome. So again, 
are you going to be satisfied at the end of Warlow's story just in case if he loses? Are you still going to be interested? Are you still going to be uh, motivated to support what's going on? We also talked about the AEW uh, Dynamite as a whole. Um, you know, my take on the Blackpool Combat Club, uh, my take on um, the House of Black and Julia, my take on the Owen Hart Tournament, which I still think that it's his name being plastered on there. It doesn't even feel grand. It doesn't feel like, you know, something amazing. When I talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling and their tournaments, so like the G1, there's prestige to that. The best of the Super Juniors, there's prestige to that. World Tag League, there's prestige to that. Those tournaments, you want to be in it. I don't know about this one. Like, I wouldn't want to be in this if there's not that much hype behind it, you know? And then we talked about Hangman, that he's a very forgettable champion. Um, I have no way to fix this guy at all unless he wants to hang out with uh, Clark Connors to uh, get some promo work in and like learn how to be a better professional wrestler for some reason when it comes to like Virginia and like North and South Carolinas, like you get hit or misses when it comes to uh professional wrestlers out of that scene. And that's not me trying to be really, really bad um, or really mean. It's just an observation that needs to be said. And I'm really glad that you guys love my hot takes. I really do. I re I'm glad that you guys do. So this is, you know, all of my ideas and opinions on professional wrestling. It's okay if you do not agree with any of it or some of it. It's totally all right. But at least, like, you know, if you want to rebuttal anything, make sure to have a good argument. And Vortex, you are most welcome. All right, so that was the rundown of the podcast episode if you don't want to, like, listen to the whole thing, but you probably should. And again, ladies and gentlemen, I do these live on twitch.tv forward slash Marie underscore shadows. And if you do watch this on the VOD, that would be great. Again, this will be on anchor.fm forward slash square circle podcast. And this would also be on youtube.com forward slash square circle podcast. As always, you can follow me at Marie underscore shadows and let me know your thoughts. And if you want to take it a step further, you can always support me at my coffee page. Coffee is better than Patreon. It gives you options to spend your hard-earned money on how you want to support. So head over to www.ko-fi.com forward slash Marie underscore shadows. And of course, now that I am Twitch affiliate, I am the sweetest podcaster you know. Because I let you know when ads start. If you do not want your experience here at twitch.tv forward slash Marie underscore shadows to be interrupted, all you have to do is just send over that Twitch Prime and I'll take care of, of a free, that's right, a free subscription. Or you can gift yourself or others in the community of twitch.tv forward slash Marie underscore shadows some subs in order to not get ads it is that simple if you have a twitch prime just use it right here at twitch.tv forward slash marie underscore shadows so i'm going to play us out on an ad and then of course you have been listening to an episode of the square circle podcast i am your host marie shadows and i'll see you guys on the next one